Welcome, John Woodward. Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, we enjoyed the worship time in the church service. Uh, the message from God's Word on having our speech reflect God's grace and wisdom in our lives. And uh, the organist, is it Nona, is that her name? Uh, was in the seminar yesterday, so we enjoyed going up and thanking her for that. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to share in the Bible study this morning. Uh, it's a little bit cold here. <laughs> uh, in Tennessee, it's usually warmer, but ironically, we've had a cold snap back in the southeast. It's, we're all in the same boat, so we're, just, we're grateful for a warm fellowship in more ways than one. Uh, my name is John. My wife, Linda, is here. Linda, why don't you stand uh, in the back there? Okay. My other wife. Um, we have been here before. Uh, first time uh, Linda and I came was to give uh, this Friday night, Saturday conference about the Christ-centered life and especially how that relates to Christ-centered soul care. And that was a wonderful time of uh, getting to know some of you then. Uh, we also did a workshop here before. We've, uh, about a year and a half ago, I did uh, a supplementary seminar called the Christ as Life Conference, and some of you attended that, and that was a joy to be back, and then this time uh, to present the Saturday seminar yesterday. Last June, I was in town at Hope Academy uh, to give a, a presentation there about uh, the message of Christ living in and through us. I'd like to talk to you in this uh, the Sunday School Hour. Is it called Sunday School? Small church. Small church. <laughs> in a small church session about the value of a personal testimony. Do you enjoy hearing personal testimonies? Yes. I mean, Randy shared a little glimpse of his mission trip. That's always encouraging. I'm particularly fascinated by hearing about people's personal spiritual journey in particular. Jeff was sharing a bit about um, Islam and the need to have an answer that's relevant to those who are under under that uh, the yoke of that false religion. My wife and I had the privilege of going to Turkey January of last year to do a covert discipleship school, and I had the privilege of returning this past January uh, to teach. And what a privilege it is to teach believers coming from Iran uh, who are coming to Christ through the Word of God, especially through Transworld Radio, but rarely have fellowship, sometimes don't even have a Bible. And uh, we would meet in Istanbul and have this... Um, a week of getting into the Word, answering their questions, having fellowship is just a really special occasion. This past time when I was there, um, I brought along an audio book with me that I'd really like to recommend to you. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And I had the audio book with me, so um, when I had some free time in the evenings, I'd be going through different chapters of that book. It's by a man named Nabil Qureshi. Now he's an affiliate with Ravi Zacharias. I think most of you have heard of Ravi, based in, in Georgia. And as I heard his story of coming from a very conservative Muslim home, parents were from Pakistan, his father actually immigrated to the United States and became enlisted in the U.S. military. Uh, they ended up being posted in, uh, in Scotland, describes what it was like to be in that very conservative Muslim household. And because he's telling a story very much from an insider's perspective, it really gives you more of an awareness of the different branches of Islam and what it's like for someone uh, to grow up in that culture. He has a, um, a sister, so it would be a son and daughter in this family, very devout. And he describes how thoroughly he committed he was to, to the Quran and through his Muslim religion. They moved to the United States. He describes entering university, and his first day at university, he meets... Um, a Christian named David, who uh, is just as bright, just as zealous as he is, but David is an evangelical believer. And uh, they both end up on this uh, academic team, so they have recreational time and uh, extracurricular time. And as they get to know each other and as they have these different trips for the university, they start uh, sharing about their mutual faith. And so I won't tell you the whole story, because I hope you'll get the book, but it culminates with Nabil having a very powerful um, dream and vision. Uh, I can't resist telling you this part of the story. He gets to the point, after years of David's witness, uh, him coming to this, this crisis of faith, 
And he has, he's pleading with Allah. He's pleading with, with God. Allah is the Arabic name for God. So he's pleading for God to give him a vision. And God gives him a symbolic vision that's pointing him to the gospel. He said, that one doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, part of him wants the truth. Part of him, you know, it's, it's just such a struggle, you know, to move forward. And I hope you'll enjoy uh, his testimony. Uh, others that are similar, I've just been so inspired by over the years. Well, I was raised in New Jersey in a Christian home. I received Christ as my Savior around age 7. I was baptized about age 12. My sister, two years younger than I am, was baptized at the same time. We then moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where uh, I lived my teenage years. My uh, other family members are still in Georgia. After high school, I went to Florida Bible College for a year. And it was during that year that the Lord got a hold of my life in terms of a more complete surrender to His will. That culminated in an opportunity to join a Christian music group um, called the Internationals. And I'm a trumpet player. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord, really. And uh, ended up in that group for two years, traveling around the United States, Canada, and Europe, giving concerts and sharing the gospel. I joined the group a year after uh, high school, after just after Bible College. Linda joined the group right after, out of high school. So that's how I met met Linda. We traveled in that group and we've made beautiful music together. Uh, during that time, they started to ask uh, a couple of us to give a five-minute gospel message during the concerts. And so I would um, be studying, preparing for that five-minute gospel message and, and I was able to see people come to Christ through those gospel concerts. Very inspiring time. And it was during those two years that God confirmed His leading for me to continue my Bible college education uh, after we were married in 1978, went to seminary. From there, God led us to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. So I was uh, an associate pastor in that uh, very um, very needy city of Montreal. Um, has kind of a nominal Roman Catholic culture, French-speaking, but there also is a significant English population, which is good because I don't know French. So it was an English church, uh, but... What, 23 different nationalities represented in the congregation? Um, there are two major universities there that were English-speaking. So people from around the world uh, were there um, studying at these two English universities, Concordia and McGill, and many of them were attending People's Church, which is where I was serving. During those years, I came across an approach to biblical counseling um, called Exchange Life Counseling or Christ-Centered Counseling, and that really affected my life personally and also led me on a journey to specialize in biblical counseling. And God led us to Tennessee um, back in 2001. So I've had the privilege of specializing in Christ-centered soul care conferences and training and, and education since then in the U.S. and other countries. So it's a real treat to be here with you this weekend. I'd like to talk to you about the concept of a personal testimony, but not not primarily a salvation testimony only. We don't want to minimize the value of that. But I'd like to talk to you about what I like to call a three-cross testimony. Let me just start, start by asking you, what would you say is the value in terms of sharing the gospel by using your personal testimony? There are many different ways to share the gospel. In terms of sharing the gospel through your personal testimony, would you like to comment on what is... What are some of the benefits of doing it that often way? Often credibility. If you have a relationship with someone and if they respect or, or look to you as maybe a person that's got values or whatever, to, to come across with a testimony of your own experiences, I think credibility is a, is a big, big key. That's kind of a bridge, isn't it? Right. In sharing. And, and I had a horrible uh, life for my first 75 and a half years of my life and uh, and then I went to a church where you got agape love and God gave me a blossom and opened it up and he said this is your life now and the Holy Spirit everybody is I'm with them I've given my whole life to them it's outstanding and I, I give my testimony to people who have bad lives, but when they hear mine, they say, oh, mine wasn't quite so bad. <laughs> I, I think you're validating that when you've got a strong desire to share your story, 
people are often interested in hearing it. It's, it's a vehicle, isn't it? When you're hearing the gospel, the gospel is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that we can have eternal life through faith in Him as our personal Lord and Savior. But when you're doing it through your personal story, there's credibility, there's that, that personal interest. Any other comments about the, the value of the personal testimony? It's really hard for them to argue that it's not true. People can argue that the Bible is not true, but a personal testimony. That's right. How can they How can they debate that this is your experience? Now, they may not automatically agree with the meaning of your experience, but they have to agree. Well, uh, I, I respect that you've had that experience. So it, it de-escalates the tendency of having an argument. And even if someone who is as dogmatic as Nabil Qureshi was for those many years, David could give his testimony, and he respected that David was a sincere, intelligent, Believer that had um, answers to back up whatever Nabil threw at him, David could research and, and give him a, a valid answer. So, um, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to First uh, Timothy chapter one. I like to remind you of one of the passages of Scripture where Paul gives his personal testimony. Of course, we see it very clearly in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, especially. But then we have, uh, in the book of Acts, Paul giving his testimony to the crowd in Jerusalem, Paul giving a bit of his defense before uh, the centurion, Paul giving his defense before Felix, and then Festus and Agrippa. So, testimony is, is very significant in the book of Acts. And first, in First Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 12. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because the academy faithful putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. 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 The scripture says that not only is it valid to appreciate Paul's testimony, but each one of us who come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have a personal testimony. Now, if I were to ask you, when was the last time you shared your personal testimony? It may not have been recently. Some of us have actually um, taken the time to prepare our testimony. Uh, Randy didn't have much time to prepare about his is a mission trip testimony, but sometimes you'll say, would you speak to our event, or would you share your testimony at, at community small group next week or something, and you might have time. And I would just like to state that there's three basic elements in your testimony. This is kind of logical, isn't it? Before, during, and after. So the first part of it is, what was your experience before you came to know the Lord? And you want to just kind of set the stage for uh, your, your coming to faith. Uh, if you have things in your life that you're not proud of, you want to, to be honest about it but not go into unnecessary detail because you're, you're simply setting the stage to show the difference that Christ has made in your life. And then the second element is how you came to know the Lord Jesus. And I, I think it's helpful to have at least one Bible verse that you use. It could be John 3.16 or a verse of scripture that points to salvation because it's the word of God that's living and powerful, right? It's the word of God that's the seed. Your testimony is the vehicle, but it's good to actually quote scripture or have a track or something you can leave with them. So what were the circumstances of you hearing the gospel and responding? Was it a, a difficult struggle? Was it a crisis experience? For some of us, like me, it was more of a, a Timothy route where I, I heard the gospel and gradually came to realize my need for him. And it wasn't as, as dramatic where others of us came to know the Lord later in life and it was very much a, uh, a crisis experience of understanding the gospel for the first time and much more of a vivid contrast in terms of before and after. 
But the third part of your testimony is, what difference has Christ made in your life? Forgiveness, hope, healing, freedom, meaning. And each one of us have our own unique version of our encounter with Christ. Now you might say, well, I'm not, I don't have the kind of sensational testimony that I heard on the Christian radio last week, or, or like Nabil Qureshi from Allah, you know, seeking Allah, finding Jesus. But that's okay, because it's your testimony. You've got the friendship or the credibility. You have the opportunity to plant the seed by saying, have I ever told you about how I came to know Jesus as my Savior? No, you never have. And uh, prepare. You might just like to do a little outline, pray about it, and say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Who do you want me to share with? And he'll open the door, and you'll have a chance to share. Now, you might have a version of it that's a 60-second version. I was in a ministry uh, getting some training a while back, and they... They encouraged us to, to learn how to share the essence of the ministry shortly, and they call it an elevator speech. You may have heard of that term. You know, just the amount of time you have in an elevator. For some buildings in Minneapolis, that would be quite a long speech, but um, relatively short, maybe a minute or so. Then you might have a five-minute version, you know, where you had time, you're just sitting over coffee, telling a story, or maybe a full-length version. So those are some suggestions about your personal testimony. Psalm 107, verse 2, says it this way. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I think that fits in here, doesn't it? Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, Declare it. Identify yourself. Have you heard of the expression, if it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right? You heard that expression? So we want to identify ourselves with the Lord in our, uh, our language, in our life, and uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In my devotions this morning, I was reading about the passage about the man who had a legion of demons. How about that for a before? Whoa. Yeah. How tragic when you read the account in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus and the disciples arrive in, in the area of the Gadarenes. Here's this man. Uh, just, just a wild lunatic of a fellow, right? Living in, in caves, chains couldn't hold him, clothes couldn't hold him, and he was bound by this legion of demons, and uh, it was just a horrific situation. But when the demons recognize Jesus, they say, you're the Son of God, don't, don't send us into the abyss. Remember that account? Who are you? We're a legion, we're many. And Jesus gives them permission to go into the herd of swine. What happens next? They, they, right? they just... They just uh, follow the logical consequence of demonic possession, which is destruction. They, they drown themselves. And the keepers run into town, say what happened. People come and they find this man clothed in his right man, mind at the feet of Jesus. And, and they were, actually they were afraid. They realized that this is a divine encounter. And rather than saying, you are the Messiah, you are the one who has power over Satan, they say, please leave. They weren't ready uh, to deal with God. And so they asked Jesus to leave their region. Isn't that sad? Sometimes people can hear firsthand of the evidence of God's work in their life or their friend's life, and they might say, I'm not ready for that. But I'm glad that when the, the man who was set free asked Jesus, uh, he got these instructions. He said to the Lord, could I go with you? I really want to go with you. And what did Jesus say to him? Go back to your house and tell everyone what God has done for you. So what did the man do? He went and spread throughout the whole city saying the good news of what Jesus had done for him. Wouldn't you like to to hear that? One of the things I'm looking forward to in heaven is Friday evenings. This is in the book of Hezekiah, by the way. Friday evenings we're going to see reruns and just see all these biblical stories firsthand and I can't wait. Um, But can you imagine revisiting and seeing these things and as he spreads his testimony throughout the Decapolis, the Ten Cities area, so many people are receptive that the next time Jesus comes, there's a much more positive reception and many come to faith. So we won't have the same kind of experience he did, thankfully, but we can have the same personal, dynamic testimony that this is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And people will identify with that. They won't be able to argue with it because it's our experience. So, um, I think it should resonate with us what Jesus told him in Luke 8, 38 and 39. Go and say to others the story of what God has done for you. Isn't that what it's about, friends? 
That's your personal testimony. Now imagine if we could go back in time and interview one of the soldiers who was there on Golgotha the afternoon of Good Friday when Jesus Christ was crucified. There would have been how many crosses on that hill? Three. And we could say, tell us what happened. And he would have told us about uh, these men being nailed to the cross and being hoisted up and all the, the shame and horror and pain that was going on. He would have told us about one man who started to mock Jesus and didn't really want to believe the other who started with that attitude and then repented and said, why, he says to the other thief on the cross, why are you saying that? We deserve this punishment, but this man is innocent. And then he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Imagine a centurion hearing that. And he hears the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them? And as he hears Christ's statements, and then finally, it is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. We could ask this centurion, he could tell us about all three crosses and how each one was, was unique. Well, I'd like to talk to you in this, this uh, session about your personal testimony because... In addition to your testimony of how you've come to know Christ as your Savior, before, during, and after, I'd like to now expand the after part a little bit and talk about how we also need to be able to give a Christian life testimony. You know, if we're having, let's say, a retreat, and we're in a retreat, and we're, we're wanting to have this retreat to grow in our relationship with the Lord, and, and we're just asking, tell us what God's been doing in your life, and, and someone says, well... Sixty years ago, I got saved. Amen. Sits down. (laughs) Okay, well, praise God you got saved, but what else, right? So, we're going to talk briefly about three crosses. Now, not the original three crosses on Golgotha, but three other crosses, which I have here as identified as, can you read this with me? Salvation, surrender, identification. Now, the first one, of course, we're quite familiar with, and I'm just going to give you some verses for each one. How about for this one, we'll say 1 Peter 3.18. So if you have your Bible handy, we can go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. This first cross represents the cross of Christ's death for us and us receiving him as our personal Savior and Lord. I appreciate how this verse gives a concise explanation of the meaning of Christ's death as our substitute on Calvary. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says it this way, For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So as you take a closer look, for Christ also died how many times? Once. Once. Notice that he's, he's the just one. He's the righteous one. He's the sinless one. He died on behalf of us and we are the unjust. We were, well, we were just sinners. Christ did what? He, he died for us. The just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. Some of you have used a tract that the navigators... Uh, created in the Billy Graham organization, others have used it, of a chasm. So we're on one side and God's on the other. And there's an attempt to bridge this chasm and religion doesn't bridge it, good works can't bridge it, and sincerity and other things don't bridge it, but what can? The cross, right? The cross is the bridge to God. So it says here that Christ died to bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh. He died physically, but then the resurrection, which validated and proved that his redemption was accomplished for us. So this first, I'll call them dimensions of the cross, this first aspect is Christ's death for us and us receiving him as our personal Lord and Savior. We mentioned Paul's testimony in 1 Timothy, and he mentions it elsewhere in the book of Acts. And, you know, with the computers and things we have now, it wouldn't be that hard to actually make your own tract of your personal testimony. You simply write it out um, and edit it a little bit, put it onto some little brochure and, and have it as, a, as an available means of witness. 
So we need to prepare our salvation testimony, whether it's just a, a one-minute version or a five-minute version. Include a scripture verse. We're not bragging. We're simply using our experience to point people to the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. But everyone has their, their own unique testimony. Of course, if you're here this morning and you've not yet made that step of receiving Christ as Savior, then you're still in the before stage. So this is when we received him. When we talk about witnessing, I also remember uh, a testimony in Acts chapter 4. If you turn there with me. Um, remember how the apostles were so empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us for our testimony as well. You might say, I'm too shy to do that. <clears throat> well, Acts chapter 1 talks about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. In Acts chapter 4, we see the uh, persecution that, that Peter and John receive. And they are commanding them not, not to give their testimony, not to preach. But did that intimidate them? No, he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Acts 4, 19, after they're commanded not to teach in the name of Jesus, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Isn't that good? A testimony is a first-hand witness. So when you give your testimony, you're talking about something that you know in terms of your first-hand personal experience. We are going to be talking about objective truth in the Word of God, but also it's filtered through your subjective experience. God's revelation, your confirmation. So testimony has that balance, which is so helpful. The second cross I'd like to talk to you about, the verse I'd like to jot down is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's one of my favorite verses and one we use in the, the biblical counseling and discipleship material because it, it just epitomizes what God is calling you and me to do as believers. Now, when we receive Christ as Savior, we do confess Him as Lord. You might say that we pledge allegiance to Him. Uh, Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. But Romans chapter 12 is written to those who have made that step. They have received Him. They have made that profession of faith in His Lordship. But God is calling us now to go deeper, to be more wholehearted about it. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So these folks are believers. By the mercies of God, His grace that saved you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now here's the idea of the cross. The cross has the concept of sacrifice. It's saying, not me, but God, in spite of the cost. Now this first cross is unique because it's is completed, it's God's finished work. We are not adding to the cross whatsoever. It's by grace through faith. But here we're using the concept of the cross because being a living sacrifice has that same concept. Jesus says we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. It's symbolic, but we're going to see that this concept, this theme, this symbol is very significant as we look at these three aspects of the cross this morning. I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, at first we think reasonable. That sounds pretty radical. And it is radical. But the word radical means going to the root. And if we go to the root of what it means to live a Christ-centered life, we're going to realize that if Jesus is Lord, doesn't he deserve everything? Yes. He certainly does. We've made that pledge of allegiance. So why are we giving him half of our heart, or three-quarters of our heart. He's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when you do that, the rest of you probably is going to come along with it. He's um, talking about your whole life saying, Lord, here I am. Like Isaiah, here I am, send me. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Well, friends, that's a challenge, isn't it? You've got TV, radio, internet, everything is just bombarding us to, to live selfish, sensual, Self-centered lives and God saying, no, don't be conformed to this world. Philip's translation, don't let the world press you into its mold. So what are you to do instead? To be 
Transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That's what we're doing this morning. We're opening the word, renewing our mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friends, God has that personal will for your life and mine. But if we don't yield to him, then we're going to be settling for second, third, or down the line best in terms of his, his plan for us. But you know, God has an ideal plan for us from February 2015 until he comes back. So it's never too late to say, God, I give you full control. Now, I'm not saying that this is just a one-time decision, but the grammar here is saying make a wholehearted decision. I mentioned going to Florida Bible College for a year, and it was during that year that I really got the assurance of my salvation. I, I also got the assurance that we could depend that God's word is reliable, inspired, infallible. And then I remember being challenged with some of my other classmates to follow the challenge of this verse. And we were asked, whoever wants to say yes, to stand. I remember standing during one of our college services to say yes. And I believe, looking back at that, that it was a turning point in my life because it was through that decision that I was invited to audition for a Christian music group called the Internationals. It was through that that I met my wife-to-be. It was through that that I had the opportunities to, uh, to speak. And I remember the first time that in a concert... I was asked to give a testimony. It was a really short one because I forgot to breathe. <laughs> it was quite short. <coughs> and, I think, and I think, you know, public speaking is a scary thing. So it's, it's God's grace and, and His opportunities that cultivate this ability in our lives. So it was as I said yes to Him that He opened the next door and so on down, down the road. So I'd like to ask you this morning... Was it at the beginning of your beginning of your Christian journey or sometime subsequent to that or maybe even recently that the call for total commitment has really become experiential for you? When we, we sing this, the song, you know, about uh, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, was, was there a time in your life where that really became your theme song? It really helps to ask God and to remember that and you know what? That's part of your testimony. That's part of your Christian life. I'll call it a three-cross testimony. Now, again, if you, if you haven't come to say yes to this verse, you're not there yet. And none of us are there all the time. But if we haven't done business with God in that way, then it's really not part of our testimony yet. But when we do, then your Christian life testimony has a new dimension that will help other believers grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in the Christian music group traveling, we had time to read because we usually were in our tour bus for a couple hours a day. And one of the books that I came across was a devotional biography called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor, as you probably know, was a missionary to China in the 1800s. And that little devotional biography describes him leaving England as someone who said yes to this commitment. He was willing to leave uh, the comfort of his homeland. He was totally surrendered to the Lord. He went to England, uh, went from England to China, but it was about 15 years into his pioneer missionary work in China that through some correspondence from a, another believer in England, that Galatians 2.20 gained a whole new significance in his life. And so we're going to call this identification. Now, if we asked Hudson Taylor before then if he knew what a Galatians 2.20, he would say, of course, it's the verse that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But there is a head-to-heart process in this third dimension of the cross. Just like someone can hear that Christ died for for us, but have never received Christ as Savior, a person may hear of the need to surrender, but not actually surrender. Someone may quote Galatians 2.20, but they may have not personally reckoned that to be true. Romans chapter 6 goes into detail. We were walking through that yesterday in our seminar. I encourage you to reread Romans chapter 6. And when you get to verse 10 and 11, you'll see these words. Therefore, reckon yourself 
to be dead and need to send alive to God. Now, in Tennessee, when they say, I reckon it's going to warm up eventually, <laughs> uh, reckoning is more like a healthy guess. But Romans is not saying guess that you're identified with Christ. It's saying, verse 6 of Romans says, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, it's a fact. If we think of it this way, imagine, imagine a vine. We'll call it the Adam vine. Um, where Adam represents this vine, and all of his descendants represent branches on this vine. But let's say that through Adam's sin, all of us that became implicated and condemned and inherited a sinful nature from Adam. So it's like this vine becomes diseased, and all of us have this corruption, and so our fruit is corrupt because of that corrupted, diseased vine. But now imagine the gardener coming, cutting off you as a little twig off of that vine, and coming to another vine, which we'll describe as the Jesus vine. And the Son of God is like a source of life that is righteous and holy and eternal. And God takes you and grafts you into this vine. He had to cut that vine and cut you to graft you in. And he secures you in that vine. And now you have a new identity as part of this Jesus vine. You've got a new source of life, you have a new potential for the vine to express its life through you. Does this sound familiar? Let's go to John chapter 15. Here our Lord is walking to Calvary where he would give himself for us on the cross for our redemption. And he's anticipating the sending of the Holy Spirit who would make this spiritual, organic relationship real in the lives of those who trust him. And so in John chapter 5, he uses the illustration of the vine and the branches. John chapter 15, verse 1, our Lord says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Greek actually says, lifts up. So if someone is not bearing fruit, the gardener lifts up and supports and cleanses that branch. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. So he says... Now I think he's talking about Judas, and he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, a dead branch, and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so be my disciples. This third cross, which we call the identification cross, involves a head-to-heart process. God's Word tells us that it's true. John 15, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, other passages in the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit wants to illumine us that it's true personally. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have a prayer where it says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know the hope of your calling, that you may realize that the very, if I can paraphrase, the very power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Friends, can I ask this question? Has the light come on about that for us? We need to pray that God causes this to go from head to heart. Well, as we think about these three crosses, we need to be able to say, I have given God permission permission in quotes, to do whatever he wants to do in my life. I, I recognize that he is the potter, that I am the clay. I want his will for my life which is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is going to cost me. What is it going to cost me? It's going to cost me the right to rule and reign in my own life. Well, I gave up that right when I received Christ, but now I need to come to terms with it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So as we give him permission as we yield to him, as we say, Lord, I want to be that living sacrifice, I want to be that ambassador for Christ, then that usually paves the way to help the Galatians 2.20 message go from head to heart. When we look at the Old Testament, there are many object lessons, many 
types and symbols that help us illustrate that. And as we look at uh, the book of Exodus, we see that their, uh, their deliverance from Egypt is a picture of our salvation. Israel and Egypt reminds us of how you and I were in bondage before we were saved. The offering of the Passover lamb is a symbol of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He was actually offered on the Passover feast just so we wouldn't miss the obvious connection. As the Israelites had to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorpost of their home, you and I need to apply the blood of the lamb to our life. Amen? By receiving him as our personal Savior. Now, friends, we might talk to someone here in Minneapolis that goes to uh, a church that doesn't really teach the gospel. Maybe it's a, a church that doesn't believe the Bible is God's word, but they, they still have a cross on the steeple. And they may say, well, we believe in God, and, and, but if they don't personally receive Christ as Savior, they're just like Nicodemus. They need to hear, you must be born again. So we need not just some religion, we need a relationship. So we need to not only know that Christ died for us, but apply his blood into our hearts through saving faith. So there's a symbolism that the Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus. Parting the Red Sea is a picture of our redemption. But have you ever considered that the wilderness wanderings can be symbolic of the average Christian life where we're kind of stuck in Romans chapter 7? If you remember that passage where Paul says, what I, what I want to do... Often don't do what I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he's just pulled back and forth. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And a closer look at Romans 6, 7, and 8 shows that Paul was coming to terms with what it meant to walk in freedom. I mean, he knew what it was like to be a Pharisee. Remember, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was radically saved in the road to Damascus, but for three years he was rereading his Bible having what Chuck Swindoll would call a grace awakening. And during, during that process, he was trying to live the Christian life without that awareness of his union with Christ, without the awareness of God's grace, without the realization that the same grace that saved him from hell can save him from himself. And so he ends up saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? He answers his own question. Thanks be to Christ who can do so. In chapter 8, it's all about the Holy Spirit making this reality. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And how God's love is, is such a, an overwhelming influence and motivation for us to live in victory. So, we need to uh, see that the wilderness uh, was a time, like Romans 7, of trying to figure out how we can have this abundant life. We know that Christ came to give us life, but also life more abundantly. And so if you remember from the book of Joshua, they come after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They come to the edge of the Jordan River. And now, Moses having died, God gives Joshua the instructions. It's time to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. And the promised land, although some hymns talk about heaven as the promised land, the promised land more accurately is the victorious Christian life. It's the Galatians 2.20 life. It's the abiding life. But for us to enter into Canaan, we have to cross the Jordan. Now, there was no tunnel under it. There was no bridge over it. And they were told that they were to carry the ark. And as they stepped in, God would stop the river supernaturally. You think that would take some faith? Well, it takes some faith for you and me to reckon true that the old you was literally crucified with Christ. Spiritually and positionally, you're no longer who you were in Adam. You were co-crucified with Christ. You were co-buried with Him. So, Oswald Chambers says it this way. He says, have a white funeral for yourself. Say goodbye to who you used to be in Adam. Because that's no longer your identity, spiritually. And when Christ was raised, you were raised. When He ascended, you ascended. And God says, count that to be true personally. It's like crossing the Jordan River. As they crossed the Jordan, God stopped the river. They took 12 stones, made a monument. And maybe we could call that their crossing the Jordan testimony. Those 12 stones were to say, we're going to remember. And generations to come, they'll say, what are these 12 stones for? They'll say, we crossed over the Jordan and God stopped the river. And he has given us this land to live in as a testimony of his redemption and faithfulness. Friends, what I'm trying to say this morning is he wants us to have a three-cross personal testimony. 
the testimony of receiving Christ as the Lamb of God, your testimony of affirming Him as the Lord of your life, and the testimony of discovering Him as your life source. Three L's. Lamb of God, Lord, life. Let me show you where that concept is based in Colossians chapter 3. And then we'll start to wrap up. Colossians chapter 3 uses the concept of Christ as life. We don't hear about that too often, but it's very vital for this abiding life to be experiential. Colossians chapter 3, being at verse 1, Since then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Notice verse 3, For you died. It's talking about your co-crucifixion with Christ. That's the Galatians 2.20 message. For you died spiritually and positionally. You died and, notice this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're grafted in to the true vine. Remember? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our, what? L-I-F-E. When Christ who is our life appears, you will appear with Him in glory. Having read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, I knew that Galatians 2.20 was a very significant um, discovery, um, turning point, stepping stone, whatever you want to call it in the Christian life. And yet it was still kind of vague in terms of my own testimony. And it wasn't until I went to Indonesia on a short-term mission trip that the missionary described what it was like to be reaching a Stone Age tribe in Urian Jaya. Same area where Don Richardson was, who wrote the book, The Peace Child. And Bill came to the end of his own resources, and it was through a book called The Saving Life of Christ that teaches this message of Christ living through us, that Galatians 2.20 went from head to heart for Bill, just like it did for Hudson Taylor, after Hudson Taylor was in China for 15 years. It went from head to heart, and there was a new perspective, a new freedom, a new sense of grace in terms of Christian living. Well, that made an impact on me, and back in Montreal, then a British Bible teacher came, and he was teaching on Colossians 1.27, which is, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, of course I knew that verse, but I hadn't really been seeing the Christian life as Christ in me. I was thinking Christ is up in heaven, and I'm hoping to please him. Well, yes, he's in heaven physically, but he's also inside us. And we just read in Colossians that we're with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. And so this became more vivid in my heart. And then I came across a book called Handbook to Happiness, which takes this message in a simplified, clarified, illustrated way. And Handbook to Happiness combines it to a biblical counseling approach. And as a pastor who was wanting to help people resolve their conflicts and heal their marriages and cope with the pressures of life, I was interested in in having a biblical counseling approach that was as Christ-centered and biblical and as effective as possible. And the last chapter of the book caused me to do a double-take because it was testimonies of people who had sometimes spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on approaches to Christian counseling without really much uh, fruit, without, without much success. But then in about a week of going through this Christ-centered process, their life was transformed. I said, what was that? And the testimonies is what really got my attention. Little did I know that God would lead Linda and I along this path to specialize in this very model, to be able to to build on that foundation and cultivate it and communicate it uh, in churches like Grace Church. So I would like to ask you this week to ask the Lord for wisdom on where you are on the map Having crossed the Red Sea, you're not in Egypt. Okay, when they were about to cross the the Jordan River, when Joshua told them to consecrate themselves, they said something very significant. Whatever you say to us, we will do. Surrender. You can't cross the Jordan without submitting to Joshua, right? And then you cross the Jordan River by claiming to be personally true what the Bible says really is true of you. And so it was during that time that this message went from head to heart for me. And as I started to share it with others, I saw God changing their lives. 
Uh, there's so many stories that, that I could share share with you about how God has used this. Um, there was a, a man who came for counseling whose wife had been murdered, and he had turned to cocaine to cope with, with his despair. And I, I'm told that that's an expensive habit. Um, and so he eventually came for Christian counseling. And as he walked through this process of validating his salvation, surrendering more wholeheartedly, discovering the message of his union with Christ, he found the power and freedom to lay aside cocaine and to trust Christ to live his life in us and through us. Whatever our problem, whether it's drugs, whether it's grief, whether it's um, a broken relationship, whatever it is, if Christ lives his life in us and through us instead of us, things will be different. And perhaps God is calling you to validate where you are on your spiritual journey, identify the milestones of your spiritual pilgrimage, and write down or prepare your testimony. Your testimony of salvation, that's the first cross. Your testimony of surrender, that's the second. Your testimony of identification, the third. There are other... There are other uh, milestones, there are other discoveries that are meaningful to you, I'm sure, in your spiritual journey. But this morning, because we have found these three aspects of the cross so relevant in biblical counseling and care, we just wanted to make that um, the, the primary target of challenging you to, uh, to prepare and to clarify and to share your personal testimony. When I uh, met the author of Handbook to Happiness... I was impressed by his three-cross testimony. Charles Solomon, our co-worker and my mentor, was saved at age 18 in East Tennessee. Um, but it wasn't until he was 27 years of age that uh, the pressures of life and the psychological turmoil in his life led him to the point where he said, I cannot live the Christian life. And at age 27, he said, God, take control of my life. Take my life. And if you want to take me out of this world, that's okay with me too. He was pretty desperate. But it was actually the, at the age of 35, as an engineer working on aircraft design in Colorado, that he, he was reading a book about Egypt, Wilderness, Canaan, and how it represents the victorious Christian life, that God took this message from head to heart, and Chuck Solomon was transformed. And that freedom, that spiritual breakthrough, that sanctification discovery, um, became part of a three-cross testimony in his life, which as a developed a model of biblical counseling that has impacted people around the world since then. What about your three-cross testimony? I hope that this has given you uh, some encouragement, some scriptural basis, uh, and maybe uh, some pride to prepare it, to celebrate it, and to share it. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this class. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the freedom we have to worship. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross and was raised again so that we could have the testimony of the cross in our life of being born again. Lord, the the challenge of being a living sacrifice is scary. It's uh, radical, but you say it's our reasonable service. And so, Lord, if we've been a living sacrifice that has crawled off the altar, Lord, we want to come back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 today and reaffirm that you are God, that you are our Redeemer, that we belong to you. And we want your will for our life, Lord, whatever that is, because it's good, acceptable, and perfect. And Lord, just like the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, we don't want to be sidetracked in the wilderness. We want to follow our heavenly Joshua, who said that we were crucified with him, buried with him, raised and ascended. So Lord, show us what it means to claim that to be personally true, so that we can live out of an identity that's positive and unshakable. Give us opportunities to share the gospel of our salvation, and the gospel of abundant living. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.